It is fitting that here from Pioneer Memorial Church would be the place we send missionaries out. It's built into our DNA. Connect, grow, serve, go. Our goal in discipling people here is preparing them for service. In youth ministry, that's definitely the goal. We went on a mission trip where we came back this last Tuesday. It was an awesome trip. Not only because we saw God work, but also because we have awesome youth in this church. It, it was powerful to see them work. And we, we went out, and often as missions is, things did not go as we planned. We had, the goal was to have an evangelistic series, and we were going to do a totally different kind of evangelistic series where instead of doing doctrine, instead of doing prophecy, we're going to share stories. And each of these youth prepared their own story, which was a journey of its own because several of them said, Pastor Ben, I don't have a story. They were wrong. They had powerful stories because God works in every life. And so we crafted their stories together so that it would flow through the journey of Steps to Christ. And so as they would share their stories, people would be drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we were a little bit discouraged after the first night where one person came to our meeting, an Adventist. (laughs) So we said, okay, let's adapt. And the next day, instead of expecting people to come to us, we went door to door. And... It was awesome to watch God work because storytelling is such a part of Native American culture. You can just knock on somebody's door and say, hey, do you have any stories you'd like to tell us? And they did. They had all kinds of incredible stories. And as they told stories, then we would say, would you like to hear our story? And they'd say, yes. And we had evangelistic meetings in homes throughout the community. It was awesome to see God work. But, unfortunately, I don't get to talk just about that because I was assigned a topic. (laughs) As you know, we've been going through this series, I Wonder What the Bible Says About, and we are dealing with the top five questions that you as a church had about, uh, what does the Bible say about this? Pastor Rodley began us with what does the Bible say about end times? And then Pastor Jose talked about what the Bible says about sex. And it's my goal to go longer than him. So brace yourselves. Um, The next one was Pastor Sharon Terrell talking about what does the Bible say about Sabbath? And last week, Pastor Sabine Vettel with what does the Bible say about forgiveness? But although... All four of those were definitely top questions. None of them came close to the number one. The most asked question rose far and above all the rest of them. There was no question what was the most asked question. I wonder what the Bible says about... And it's one of those things. It's one of those things that we all find ourselves thinking about, but we don't talk about it. 
I wonder what the Bible says about mental health. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as we talk about your plan for our minds, I pray that you will fill us with your spirit, that you will send the promised comforter, and that you will guide and lead us through this journey. In your name, amen. Richard was a happy baby. He was a generally happy boy. His struggles started about the time he started school when in the first grade he struggled with school and he had to repeat the first grade. And his struggles with school only seemed to grow the older he got. By the time he got to junior high, his parents were trying to help him process this and they, they had extra tutoring for him. And part of the tutoring process was some psychological testing and they realized Richard also struggled with depression. So they started putting him on medication, and as often as the case, sometimes the medication worked, sometimes he took it, sometimes he didn't. By age 15, Richard started leaving suicide notes and disappearing for hours at a time. Richard never finished high school. He jumped from job to job, struggling to find his place in life. All the while, the depression seemed to grow. At age 34, Richard took his life. Last June, Richard would have turned 40 years old. Richard was my brother. <laughs> and I know that this story is not just mine, is not just Richard's, because we all have people in our lives, people in our families who are broken, people who are struggling. It wasn't a surprise that the top question was, I wonder what the Bible says about mental health. The story chosen to explore to deal with this topic actually doesn't have anything to do with mental health. It's found in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, you have a story of a blind man, which is not a mental health issue. But in this story... You, I believe we can find principles that will help us better understand how we can process some of our own feelings and emotions, how we can better take care of those who are struggling with mental health issues, and how we as a church should be. John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are walking along. And the disciples ask a question. And I love the, this question because it's a, it's a ridiculous question. The disciples ask a very foolish question. They say, Jesus, this man here, he was born blind. Is it because of his parents' sin or his sin? 
I want you to think about that just for a moment. He was born blind. Was this because of his sin? He wasn't born yet. Jesus, I love Jesus because he doesn't often answer the question. He just deals with the issue. And he says, oh, this has nothing to do with who sinned. He was born blind. And because of that, you're going to see God work today. And here's the thing. We're going to have three points on how to deal with mental illness. And this is the first one. And that is, we need to stop looking at the problem and start looking at the person. Often, we approach things a little bit like the disciples. Where we try to figure out exactly what the problem is, exactly what caused it. And we focus so much on the problem, we miss the person. Jesus pushes all that aside and he sees a man. In 1790, in York, this is old York, not New York, this is in England, in York there was a girl by the name of Hannah Mills who was put into a mental institution, and mental institutions of that time were, well, different. Some friends went to visit her, and along with her friends and family was a gentleman by the name of William Tuke, and they went to visit her just shortly after she was there, and when they went to visit, the mental institution said, I'm sorry, she's not fit for company right now. Two months later, she died. And William was really bothered by this, and so he said, I want to find out exactly what was going on, and he started investigating what was happening in these mental institutions, and they were dreadful places. They were a combination of prisons and torture chambers because their goal was to purge out the mental illness. And so you could be put into a mental institution for any number of reasons. In fact, if somebody just didn't like having you around because maybe you wanted to marry their daughter, they could put you into a mental institution. And so he decided he wanted to create a better mental institution. And William Tuke was a Quaker. And Quakers, one of their foundational beliefs is that we are all equal under God. And so he created a whole new paradigm for mental health and how to deal with it. And he, instead of trying to purge it out, they had a mental institution where people would come and their goal was to bring out the elements that made that man or woman a child of God. And here's the thing. It worked. They got better results than any other mental institution had ever done simply by treating each other as equals. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that we are all children of God. And I want us to just spend a couple moments wrapping our minds around what that means. We're all children of God. That's greater than any other title we could have on earth. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care any of those things because they all become secondary when we realize primarily we are children of God. It levels the playing field like nothing else. 
We cannot look down on someone else because they are equal to us because they also are children of God. Someone with Down syndrome is just as much a child of God as you or I. Someone with depression is just as much a child of God as you or I. So the first point in dealing with mental illness is we are children of God. And if you're struggling with mental illness, maybe you need to remind yourself of this. You are a child of God. But most importantly, we need to treat others as children of God. What Jesus does next is one of those things that just, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I wouldn't want it to happen to me. Jesus spits, mixes it with mud, and puts it in the man's eyes. This does not bode well with me. I have never once thought, man, I would really like someone to spit, mix that with some dirt, and put it in my eyes. I've also never thought about doing that to someone else. Not even people I don't like. (laughs) But you have to understand the context of Jesus' time because in that day, the medical professionals believed that saliva had really healing attributes, and so Jesus does this. And I love this about it because Jesus never is at odds with medicine. Oh, he does things that medicine can't do, yes. But... If you're struggling with mental illness, talk to a doctor. Oh, pray about it, yes, but talk to a doctor also. We, we're not called to ignore medicine. Jesus didn't do it, nor should we. And the story continues because people began to notice the difference in this man, and here is a man who has spent his entire life blind, begging. Everyone knows him. I mean, when the disciples walk up, they knew immediately that he had been born blind because everybody knew this guy. And so all of a sudden, he's walking around seeing, and this throws everyone for a loop. And they say, wait, is this the same guy? It it can't be. He's blind. You're not. And he said yes, and he started sharing his story. And I love this element because he starts sharing his story with absolutely everybody. It's part of our nature to share our stories, isn't it? It's it's in our DNA. We, We talk with each other. And it's also really important as far as emotional health. It's important to share our stories. It does three things for us when we share our stories. First of all, when you have to share your story with someone else, it forces you to think through your story enough to share it. The process of articulating it helps you process some of those feelings because you have to think through, what were the events? How did it make me feel? And it helps you process it. It helps you deal with it just a little bit to share your story. The second thing it does is it creates it creates a bond with you and the person that you're telling it with. When you share your story and they have empathy for you and they feel for you, 
that actually shares your burden. Did you know that? There, when you are in the depths of despair, tell somebody walking up to you and saying, it's going to get better, that doesn't help. When somebody says, oh, it's going to be okay, that doesn't help. Even when they say with God all things are possible, that doesn't help. But when they come alongside you and they cry with you, when they feel your pain with you, when they share that burden, that helps. It eases it just a little bit because you don't feel alone anymore. And the third thing that sharing our stories does is it overcomes. Revelation 12, verse 11, they overcame him by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. We share our stories because it takes what is in darkness out of Satan's realm and it brings it into the light, which is God's realm. We overcome by sharing our stories. So first of all, in dealing with mental health, we need to see each other as children of God. Second of all, we need to share our stories. We need to listen to our stories. And I'm going to be honest, between services, a woman came and talked to me and she said, yes, I tried telling my story, but people don't listen. Listen to other people's stories. Oh, it's, it's easy to go through life trying to focus on the positive and just nodding and smiling. But if you really, truly believe these are children of God, slow down, listen to the story, and feel what they're going through with them. It's the model Jesus gave us when he came down to this earth. It's what we need to do. But not everybody wanted to listen to this young man's story. As he started telling more and more people, it didn't take too long for the Pharisees to get a whiff of it, and they were bothered on multiple levels. The Pharisees did not like this story because, A, Jesus was the hero. It's the worst. And B, Jesus, you did it on the Sabbath again. And when, when you mixed your saliva with... The dirt, that was clearly work. Jesus, why do you keep doing these things? And so they call his parents in and they say, hey, is this true? The parents, realizing it was a trap, said, oh, our son is actually old enough to be trapped. Talk to him. <laughs> so they bring the son in. He's more than happy to tell the story. They don't like what they hear. And so in verse 34, they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and yet you are trying to teach us? Which brings us to our third point. If we actually want to start doing something about mental health, we need to stop pretending we're perfect. Here, the Pharisees, they believed they had it all together. They believed they had everything figured out. They didn't need to hear anyone's story. They didn't need to learn anything. They knew it. I wish I could say we're no longer that way. But that's not true. 
Unfortunately, we often like to pretend we're perfect. I'm not just talking about the church, I'm talking about our culture. It doesn't take long to watch the news, and one of these tragedies, one of these mass shootings, one of these attacks, the first thing we do is we try to determine what the race was of the attacker, and then we divide them into two camps. Either this was a terrorist or someone who's mentally ill. Anything we can do to separate us from them. Anything we can do to say, no, no, I'm still perfect. They have the problem. But here's the thing. Sin has corrupted us all. There's no one of us that isn't struggling at some level or another with mental health. We need to stop pretending we're okay. We need to start being honest with ourselves and open and talking about this. We need to stop saying us versus them. It's been exciting watching Emmett grow. When he was about a year and a half, he started learning even more and more words. At first, when he wanted to be picked up, he would just come and say, up, 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 and it would like gain in intensity until you would pick him up. It was exciting. But then he started learning more words and conjugating a couple together. He still doesn't have his pronouns perfect. I'm not going to lie. So he'll come up and say, Emmett, hold you, which at first I was really excited about. I, I thought, finally, he's at an age where we can reverse these roles and I can be comforted. But he just wanted to be picked up. And so he'd come up to me and say, Emmett, hold you. And I remember specifically one time when I was busy trying to work on something and he came up and he said, Emmett, hold you. And I said, not, not right now. Daddy's busy. Emmett, hold you. Not, not right now, Emmett. I can't. And so he said, Emmett, do it myself. <laughs> and he squatted down and he grabbed himself by the back of his legs. And I was a little bit afraid he was going to have a hernia. Because he was making grunting sounds like nobody's business. He just... And he was pulling up as hard as he could. And finally, he stood up out of breath and he shook his head. And he said, Emmett, heavy. <laughs> but at a year and a half, at a year and a half, Emmett had learned something that some of us have yet to understand. We cannot pick ourselves up. It's, it's physically impossible to pick yourself up. Oh, yes, you can jump, but trust me, you'll land. You cannot pick yourself up. That's why we needed a Savior. But it's also why we need a church. Because we need a community that comes alongside those who are suffering and picks them up. When it comes to mental health, this is what the church is for. To come alongside those who are suffering, those who are hurting. 
and to hold them. Because we all have Richards in our families. We all have people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who are suffering. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to give this picture of Jesus continually lowering himself down to pick us up. When we're called to be disciples, this is what we're called to do. And so, I invite you to take out your Connect card. And I'm going to have to find mine. Here it is. On the front side, it's a place for your contact information, your name, email, phone number, whatever you would like to put there. And on the back side, there's some next step options. But I also want you to, up at the top, in the lower right-hand corner, it says, I'm interested in joining a grow group. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, if you're looking for someone to tell your story to, join a grow group. But even better, if you want to be a part of a community that lifts other people up, lead a grow group. Lead a grow group that just has people tell their stories. I'm going to tell you, it's powerful. This, this summer with these eight high school age kids, some of those stories would break your heart. Some of those stories had you soaring. But every single one of those stories was a picture of God at work. If you want to see God at work, start a grow group where people tell stories. It's just that easy. Down below, my next step today is to see others as a child of God, to share my story with someone, or to be a part of a community that strives to lift others up. My sister, who's finishing up her Ph.D. at Fuller Seminary, has been doing research on this very topic. It's a great resource. But she wanted to see how people were talking about mental health on social media and on forums online. Took two million posts and glean through them. Do you want to know what the top two things were that people were talking about when it comes to mental health? The first one, eating disorders. And the second one was anxiety. Here's the thing, church. As a community, we could make a difference. With grow groups, we could make a difference with these things. It's possible. 
It just takes us actually seeing people as God's children, telling our story and listening to others, and stop pretending we're perfect. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for creating us with minds to comprehend you. Thank you so much for creating us with hearts to love you. And as we leave this place today, I pray that we will also use our minds and hearts to comprehend those around us and to love them as you have loved us. In your name, amen.